It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions. He's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Welcome to the money guy show. It's great to be back this Monday. It is um, April 28th, 2008, and um, I'm so glad you came to join us today. And uh, what we're going to be talking about today is how to pick a planner, a financial planner or investment manager, out of the sea of snakes that are out there. And, And I know that sounds like probably a harsh thing to say, but as many of you have probably found out, if you've ever shopped or looked or tried to research and done due diligence on hiring an investment manager or a financial planner, um, it can almost feel like buying a new car or a used car. It's just not, um, it can be a pleasant experience, but it also can be kind of overwhelming to try to figure out what in the world is the right direction, you know, and how important is this decision. So that's what we're going to be focusing on today. I am your host, Brian Preston. I'm a certified public accountant a certified financial planner, and I'm also a fee-only wealth manager that does this as a hobby. This is not my full-time job. I'm not a radio personality um, full-time or a broadcaster where that's where I'm all my income. This is actually um, not a primary source of income whatsoever. It's more of just a, a hobby of passion that has kind of taken off um, through the grassroots support of all my listeners who have written great um, uh, reviews out there for on iTunes as well as other blog sites and, and elsewhere, and that's what's gotten us enough attention that we, we've grown to the size that, that you probably found us out there. So I, I want to thank everybody who's made it possible for the Money Guy to show, uh, the Money Guy show to grow to the point that it has. Um, but what we are going to be talking about today is picking that planner who can, who can spell fiduciary, which is a, a story that ran in the New York Times this weekend. I think it is a great, great um, kind of of look into how to shop for a financial planner. And I want to thank James. As I know I've probably said it in passing before, but I have a partner up in Boston that kind of joined, started working on the Money Guy show uh, right at the beginning of this year. And um, we haven't been able to do everything we want to do to this point because, unfortunately, the day jobs get in the way. But we have big plans for the show in the long term. And James has been tremendous. He, and he's just recently, you've probably noticed that the quality of um uh, what the the show notes uh have increased not you know James is not involved with the audio portion but the show notes the actual writing he's done a great job of editing what I say because I tend to 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 type notes and train a thought which sometimes doesn't translate well um when you're talking about you know writing out uh for people to read uh, and and I appreciate James helping out and he also emailed me this this article from the New York Times and it's it's titled Pick a Planner Who Can Spell Fiduciary. Now, um I want to read and and I hate to just pull an article and read and I'm not going to read the whole article, but um the author of this did a great job and I want to kind of go over some of the points she made and and then also throw my insight into it because I have worked both on the commission side uh, of financial planning and investment management as well as what I've been doing for quite a number of years. I've been on the fee-only side where we don't do any commissions or or sell any products. So it's it's kind of interesting because I feel like I can give you both sides of the coin and give you insight because a lot of you are probably wondering what to do. Many, Most of you might have, with all the volatility we've had in the stock market over the last six months, have probably been, um, even the do-it-yourselfers out there, are, are probably second-guessing yourself a little bit and realizing, hey, maybe since this is um, 
my entire retirement future and my entire financial independence. I've been saving my entire life. How about get, let's get the opinion of somebody else um, to make sure we're doing this right because we only get one shot at this. If we really mess it up, you know, it could really impact our long-term um, happiness and, and retirement. I think that's a valid point. And I wanted to see if I could help out in that decision um, while you're going through this and give you a resource where you can figure out if your person that you're talking to is doing the right thing for you or if you're just going to be another number to them um, in, in their line of trying to build up um, you, you know, a salary to, to pay for what they've got going on in their life. So that's what we're going to be focusing on today. At the end of the show, I am going to give you guys some insight. I, I mentioned last week at the end of the show that I had a LASIK surgery. Um, and that's why I was running out and not doing a ton of show notes is because I was going out to get LASIK surgery. I did get LASIK surgery last week, and I want to give you kind of some some follow-up on that. Um, I put that at the end because I know a lot of people like to tune into the financial stuff and then drop off. They could care less about the personal stuff, and that's fine, but I do want to give you guys some personal insight into how LASIK works and um, how my experience was, just in case you are in, in that process yourself, because I know there's been a lot of scary stuff out there on the Today Show and some of the other... Um, you know, news programs about what you have to be careful with LASIK. And I feel like since I went through it last week, I might be able to give you some of my insight from it. But let's jump right into this article from the New York Times. It was published on April 26, 2008. That was this weekend. And it's titled, um, it's under the shortcut section. It's called Pick a Planner Who Can Spell Fiduciary. And, and it goes on to say, like many people, especially in the finan- in these financially unsettling times, I long for someone to look at our portfolio such as it is, and tell us how to manage everything so that we can send both of our children to college, of their choice, of course, retire at 65, and be able to send postcards from exotic locations to our future grandchildren. I think that's probably summing up the first paragraph of this article is what most people who come to see me really are looking for. They are looking for that true peace of mind that comes from hiring somebody um, to, to know, hey, can we do all these goals and actually have enough money to do it? That's what they want. People oftentimes going to come in to see a financial planner and say, okay, we, we've kind of, this is, this is our, our bag of goods. Do we have enough to make it work? And that's what they're looking at you to give, you, give them guidance. It goes on to say, what I learned, though, is that while most people hire a financial planner more casually than they might, say, choose a hairstylist, you really should go into it as if you're selecting a marriage counselor. And I think that's a great point in the fact also that, this is the person that's going to be impacting your financial livelihood during retirement. And I'll tell you that one of the first things I notice when people retire, and I've worked with quite a number of people who are in that transition stage from wrapping up their working years and now they're coming into retirement, is there is some stress that people don't really count on. Once you quit working um, and you're living off of just your portfolio or your pensions, there's something that I don't think a lot of people account for, and that's that that shock of the first few months of recognizing now you're not getting your money through wages or by going to work every day. It is all on how you're investing and managing your money and how your pension, how safe it is. These things can bring on a level of stress you might not have even thought about because you're quickly realizing, wait a minute, if this doesn't go well, I'm not working anymore. It's probably going to be hard to go out and get a full-time job paying what I was making it's a stress that I think a lot of people um, don't even realize is going to hit them until they actually are in the middle of it. And I don't think a lot of people talk about this when you're, you're on financial sites and talking about the joys of retirement. I don't think many people talk about the stress of what happens when you retire and the and the, the settling and the realization 
of that this is it. This is your nest egg. This is, is you know, this is all you're going to be able to put in from your, working with your back and hands. The rest is kind of in the hands of how well your investments perform. And that can kind of be unsettling to know that, wow, uh, you know, if, these, if this doesn't perform well, I could be in trouble. So I think that's why you do have to be very selective on who you're going to work with. This is not a very easy decision to make that you should take very lightly at all. So I think that's an important thing to take in. It goes on in the article and says, the trouble is pretty much anyone can hire themselves out as a financial advisor. So you very much have to do due diligence. According to a 2005 survey by the Securities Investor Protection Corporation, four out of five who took the survey failed it, meaning they did not understand how certain investments worked and they did not do rudimentary checks on their planners. The corporation was established by Congress to protect investors in the case of a bankrupt or financially troubled brokerage house. And it goes on to also say just one out of every five people surveyed said they read their financial prospectuses. That's that, you know, and I'm adding this, that that's that white, you know, that, that booklet that um, your investment person provides you that has all of the legal disclaimers. And then on page 20 of the 40-page um, little document that's written in size type of eight, you know, the font size is probably six or eight, where you almost have to get a magnifying glass out. On page 20 actually tells you what the fees are. They bury those fees in the middle. So you really have to dig into that prospectus, that legal document that they're required to give you to really know what's going on. But it's, it, as I said in the, read from this article, it says only one out of every five people, as 20% of the people surveyed said they read their financial prospectuses. They regularly reviewed their account statements, checked out the disciplinary background of their stockbrokers or financial planners, and had a financial plan in place. So that means only 20% of the people are going through all the steps to protect themselves. So that leaves a lot of openness for people to be taken advantage of. And I think that a lot of you out there probably are being, to some degree, I think people who have reached a certain age in life could probably you could ask the majority of the population out there and say, "Hey, do you feel like you've ever been ripped off by somebody selling you a financial product?" Now I got to believe that most people would say yes. And I really do believe that because there's always people out there trying to see if they can get in your back pocket, and it's up to you to educate yourself. And that's what hopefully the Money Guy Show and other resources like this can help you, for so you don't fall into those traps and, and get yourself in a situation where you do get taken advantage of financially. It goes on, I thought this was a very key part, and one of the reasons I chose this article um, that James had forwarded over to me was it goes into to category titles for advisors, because I know it can become very confusing on what, you, what you're looking at and what different people do. So it, it says um, that there's... There, that there's actually three categories of inv- of people who are managing assets, and one, the first is investment advisors, the second is our sto- stockbrokers, and then the third are what are called financial planners. Now, financial planners is is I'm going to go into these definitions in just a second. Financial planners can kind of be a catch-all category, and that could be a person who does who is a stockbroker, or it could be a person that's a, an investment advisor. But let's first talk about what is an investment advisor. Um, an investment advisor is also known as an asset manager, wealth manager, or portfolio manager. It's a legal term that describes people who are in the business of giving advice about securities, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, and annuities. Anyone who manages $25 million or more in securities generally must be registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission. In most states, advisors who manage less than that should be registered with their state regulatory agency. And I think you guys, if you've listened to the show long enough and you actually made it to the end, you'll notice I have a disclaimer at the end of the show. 
And, and one of the things, you know, one of the reasons we put that disclaimer out there, first, we want you to know what we do this show for entertainment, that you should always, you know, know your personal situation. It's, it's hard to give you specific recommendations when we don't know all of your ins and outs of your situation. But it also goes on to say, if you listen to the disclaimer at the end of the show, that I work or am partner with Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management, and we are a Securities and Exchange Commission registered investment advisory firm. So we fall into this category as an investment advisor because it is true, all good, well, legally, all firms that are managing more than $25 million do have to register with the SEC, and um, and that is one of the things we do. And I, I will tell you it is something that is, is not the easiest thing to do to keep up with all the compliance and, and everything else, but it is definitely something that you want to make sure that people who are managing a great deal or a decent amount of money are are filing and, and are, are registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission, and that's what um, what I know we had to do. Uh, going on, so that's an investment advisor. That's a you know an asset manager, somebody who's managing money and is registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission. A stockbroker, getting into the terms, is also a legal term that refers to people who buy and sell securities on behalf of customers and also can offer a broader range of investment planning. Um, They can work for themselves or for brokerage firms, and they must take a test given by the financial industry regulatory authorities um, a non-governmental body that oversees security firms. And a stockbroker, you know, just giving you examples, that's like your Merrill Lynch's, your Smith Barney's. Um, these are the guys that, um, your A.G. Edwards, these are the guys, you, you know, you, that you probably see, I think probably most people think of when they're first thinking about a stockbroker. You think about the Merrill Lynch, the, smart, the Smith Barney's, and those type of advisors. Um, and in, an investment advisor it can be independent guys, like you know, like my firm, Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management. It's important to kind of know the difference. And then the third term is a financial planner or consultant. Um, a, a financial planner or a financial consultant, on the other hand, is not a legal definition. It generally refers to providers who develop and possibly carry out comprehensive financial plans for customers based upon long-term goals. Planners can deal with such topics as estate and tax planning, insurance needs, and debt management, as well as help plan college savings or retirement funds. And that's why I say it was kind of a catch-all. You know, really the two categories are you're either an investment advisor or you're a stockbroker or registered rep, um, you know, that sell, you know, registered reps and stockbrokers, you know, work for the big brokerage firms. And then you have your, your investment advisors that can, and now this is where it gets a little confusing, can also work at a, at a, at a brokerage firm, but it's, it's different. And I'm going to get into what those differences are um, in, in a moment, but those are the three main categories. You have an investment advisor, which are typically your independent guys. You have your stockbroker, who works at the big brokerage firms, and then you got a financial planner that can be a financial planner can be an investment advisor or it can be a stockbroker. It's somebody who's not just looking at your investments; they're looking into all parts of your your financial life, getting into retirement planning, debt management, college savings, and those type of things. So the article goes on, and this is where it tries to give you more clarification. It goes, what do I want to look for and avoid when finding someone to help us? One word kept arising over and over, and no, that word was not money. It was a word, fiduciary. And and I think this is a key thing because we've had some huge rulings in the last year and a half on what obligations are for people who manage money with the general public. And, and there's always been um, a lot of gray in this area because we had what was called the Merrill Lynch broker-dealer rule where 
Um, you know, brokers were not held to the same specifications as an investment advisor if they register with the Securities and Exchange Commission because investment advisors have to take what's called a fiduciary obligation on their clients. They have to put their clients' interests ahead of their own, whereas broker-dealer exemptions, the Merrill Lynch rule, the broker-dealer rule that was out there for many years, exempted brokerage firms, the big brokerage firms from this rule, because advice was considered just kind of um, an add-on. It was it was just um, an added service as, as in addition to them selling products. Um, so they weren't held to the same standard. But that has changed now, where if if a if a broker or a stockbroker is going to hold themselves out as an investment manager that does financial planning um a lot of times they they might have to register with the securities and exchange commission and take that fiduciary obligation so we have had a, a change in the laws in the last 18 months 18 months that is m- huge i mean this is shattering to help you out and i think it's important that you know what the word fiduciary means and how that impacts your your desire to try to find a new financial advisor or even go from the do-it-yourself side to to bring in somebody to look over your shoulder so going into what the the article titles fiduciary says someone who legally has a fiduciary duty will have to work in the best interest of the client that means they have to put your interest ahead of theirs at all times by providing advice on investments that will serve you, not them best. Investment advisors have a fiduciary duties while brokers and financial planners may or may not. It's a confusing legal situation, so the best bet is to ask anyone you're considering hiring straight out, are you a fiduciary? If an advisor doesn't know what you're talking about or can't say yes with conviction, then that's your answer. Um, that according to Miss Garrett, um, in this uh, that was interviewed in this article, as we should walk, then it, it what does it say? And and you should walk. Oh, okay, I misread the sentence. And so she's saying that if they can't, if they don't know what a fiduciary is, or they can't say definitively yes, Miss um, Garrett here, who's interviewed in this article, said you should get up and walk out. Even if they do say yes, ask for this and other terms. Um, that you're that that you're coming to an agreement in in writing. Ask for their code of ethics is what I think is important. You know, I think that there's there, there's things you should ask for to make sure that they truly are and are legally bound to a fiduciary obligation to put your interest ahead of theirs. So after we've talked about because we're kind of reviewing, we've talked about the different type of providers of investment management. We've talked about um, you know the differences between fiduciaries and pe- and people just selling products. And then the third thing I want to talk to you about is that you need to consider is how does a person get paid? Um, the other big question to ask potential advisors is how they get paid. Commission on investments they sell to a client or are they fee only, or, which means if they're fee only, they're paid by a project or an hourly rate. Do they get paid by a percentage of assets or a combination of these? So these are all questions you need to ask yourself. Um, most experts I talk to said to be leery of financial advisors who work on commission because they have an incentive to get clients to trade and buy on the highest commission products. An inherent conflict of interest. And I think that's an important word, is that conflict of interest. You've got to pay attention to make sure that whoever you're hiring is honest because everybody has somewhat of a conflict of interest. I'll even go ahead and tell you what my conflict of interest is with clients. Is a lot of times if a client, you know, I'm managing their assets, um, if, they, if they decided they wanted to... Uh, pay off their, you know, they just take a hundred thousand dollars and pay off, 
you know, the, the mortgage, $100,000. That would obviously impact somebody like myself who's, who charges a percentage of the assets I manage. That would obviously lower how much I'm going to make off that client. So that's a conflict of interest. When they ask me for advice on, hey, should I pay off my house early, I have a conflict of interest there because if they do pay it off, it will lower how much I'm making. But I think that can be overcome by the fact that I think you guys have heard me talk about it. I think as people do approach retirement, I am one of those people that thinks you should pay off your house. And I know there's, I'll probably get emails from people saying, hey, you should never pay off your mortgage. But hey, let's face it, with real estate behaving like it is, I don't think you can use the assumptions of old that you you want to leverage your house as much as possible because it's earning. You want to put that money, you're, you know, you want to borrow as much as you can on your house so you can put that money to work. And then you want to, you know, leave your house leveraged so it can keep appreciating, um, you know, while your other money's working. I don't think that argument holds up when you're in a real estate market like we are now because it could be years before real estate starts appreciating again. And if you have that house leveraged to the nine, you know, you essentially could be underwater. I'd rather you, I just don't think that that's the, that's the ideal situation. So I'm actually a big fan of paying down debt rather aggressively. So, you know, that kind of totally wipes away that conflict of interest if I completely address what my conflict is and jump right in. But other advisors, you know, brokers out there, they might not tell you if you're buying their proprietary products or the mutual fund that they're selling that has the name of their firm on it can only be held at their fund and they make an extra commission by selling you that proprietary product than selling you something else that might be available from one of the low-cost providers. Um, or, you know, there, there's different conflicts that do impact how much your advisor gets paid and also how your long-term performance is and you need to know what those conflicts of interest are. Um, you can find fee-only financial planners in your area um, from two websites that are listed in this article, and that's the garrettplanningnetwork.com, or you can go out, and this is the one, I'm not a member of the Garrett Plan because I don't work by the hour, um, but I am a member of the National Association of Personal Financial Advisors, and their website is N, that's N-A-P, fa.org and that you know and that napfa.org is the acronym for National Association of Personal Financial Advisors. Um, I think it's important to go out there and look at those and I will tell you working both commission and fee only and now being fee only you can imagine I like fee only better because I think it does put you on the same side of the table as the client um, you know it doesn't have as much conflict of interest as the other side you know I don't think clients are ever wondering am I recommending um, you know, life insurance, that they go find a life insurance agent to buy a life insurance when they know I'm not getting a dime off of making that recommendation. I think it helps them know I'm objective in the decision, and that's important when you're talking about your finances. I think it's very important that you feel very comfortable with the, the advice you're getting because if you can't trust the person giving the advice because you're worried that they're maybe making that advice because of their back pocket, you know, how are you ever going to build a, a really healthy long-term relationship? Also, going on to give uh, recommendations on how to handle finding a, a good financial planner and investment manager, it says, find out what experience and education your planner has. At a minimum, says the experts, is a degree as a certified financial planner with CFP which means the advisor has a certain level of education experience as well as attends continuing education classes. Certified financial planners are also bound by a code of ethics that includes fiduciary duty. Now, I see, I see that in the article, but I don't know if that's completely true. I, I, I'm going to throw that out there. But I'd have to do a little more due diligence because I don't, I don't think just because you're a CFP you have a fiduciary obligation 
uh, unless they've changed that code of ethics here recently. I could be wrong on that because I know there's a lot of people selling products still that that are um, still holding that CFP on their, their business cards or at least telling people, even if they don't put it on their business cards, that they have passed the CFP test and they've met the, the experience requirements. So you might want to check that. I don't know if I buy into that completely, but... Um, I'm sure this person did their. I'm sure the author did their due diligence. Um, you can also go to the CFP.net website, the website of the Certified Financial Planners Board of Standards. You can learn how to find a financial consultant with a degree, as well as to check for any disciplinary actions against him or her to make sure you're. You know, and I'm editorializing, adding, make sure your guy doesn't have or your girl doesn't have. Um, a bunch of cases or complaints against them. I think that's a be very important. It goes on to say, what should raise some red flags if a planner is solely pushing investments put out by his brokerage firm? If if he or she is advocating buying annuities, particularly variable annuities for your 401k or IRA rollover, um, you need to be wary of them. Um, be wary of your financial planner wants. All your planner wants to do is talk about investments and not look at your overall situation, like whether you are near retirement or trying to save for a new house or college. And that gets into the core thing uh, that I mentioned in last week's show when we were talking about those equity indexed annuities. I told you the, about the widow that I dealt with that was sold you know, over half a million dollars of these products. And within a 30-minute conversation I had with her, I quickly realized that this, this person was going to need quite a bit of money to pay taxes, to settle estate. Um, items, you know, as well as to pay down mortgages and other things, you've got to have a financial planner when you're looking for somebody who's going to manage your money that will take into account your goal planning and portfolio design because everybody's differently. Let's face it, a 60-year-old is going to have a different investment plan than a 25-year-old. Also, a person who is debt-free at 60 is going to have a completely different financial plan than somebody who's leveraged to the hilt um, as a 60-year-old. Or what about if you have a pension? Maybe you have a, you know, a full pension that's going to provide a ton of um, uh, you know, the majority of your income. Um, you, can, you can be a little more aggressive. If you know that your income is going to be provided, say, from a governmental pension, you can, you know, and it covers all of your living expenses, and you're trying to now maximize your financial um, growth. These are different things that you're only going to find out if your financial planner does goal planning and takes into account your individual situation into the portfolio design. And I think I'm going to add a term here that's not even mentioned in this article. Is I think that if your financial planner does not bring up that they want to put together an investment policy statement, or or and it don't, they don't even have to give that title, but that is a pretty much an industry wide standard now is investment policy statement where they actually put together a plan based upon your goals, your risk level, and what you're ultimately trying to do with your financial independence or, or where you're trying to reach with your financial independence, you need to be concerned. And, and, and I think this stuff is very important to help you find that good financial planner in the sea of snakes out there. There's a lot of people that are not doing the right things, and that's what gives us a lot of good content here on the Money Guy Show. Now, I should have probably thrown it out in the beginning, but hopefully you've hung in there with me. If you want to go check out our show notes, you can go to moneyguy.com. That's our website, moneyguy.com. You can also email the show, and that's brian, B-R-I-A-N, at moneyguy.com. Net. Um, let me tell you this. I had LASIK surgery last week. A lot of news, a lot of press in the last you know week on the Today Show and elsewhere about how the FDA is going to start looking at LASIK and um, some of the complications that it come from. Um, 
I, I think that's a very good thing. I think it's a valid concern to have. I think um, it scares the heck out of me that I get in every one of these mailers that come to my house with coupons and everything else. There's always people out there advertising that they can give you great LASIK surgery with 20-20 vision for like $800 an eye. And, and, and that kind of cracks me up, and I see I don't know if that's the ideal way to look at this. I think we only get one set of eyes. You probably want to shop for an eye doctor a lot like a, a, a financial planner, as I just acknowledged. You know, this is a very important decision. And when I was out there looking, I ended up um, had a great experience. I, you know, I had this I had this done Monday, last Monday, and um, within three hours, I was reading to my daughter. Um, uh, I mean, I was in giving her a, a bath before, you know, getting her ready for bed. And that's an, an incredible thing. Now, I'm not going to tell you this is not pain-free. The first, you know, hour of the procedure and the first, you know, hour after the procedure was not very comfortable. It only took, a, you know, I was in and out of the doctor in about an hour and a half, but it was not very comfortable at all. But the heal time was incredible after that. I mean, within three hours, I was feeling better, had a little haziness. You know, it was like you were almost, um, the way I describe it is if you look, you know, if you think about soap operas, how when they do um, flashback scenes, they always put that white haze uh, around the scene. That's kind of what LASIK is, is, feels like after you're through with it, is that you kind of have a, a, a haze around everything, um, kind of cloudy there the first few hours, but they want you to sleep as much as possible that first 24 hours after the procedure anyway. Um, but you wake up the next morning. My vision was uh, was clear. It was amazing. I felt like I had um, eagle vision, you know, superhuman vision. Um, it did fluctuate over the last two or three days, and the doctor has told me that it's going to continue to fluctuate for probably the next three weeks as my eyes heal up. But it is great. It is outstanding. Um, I couldn't even see the alarm clock next to my bed before I had the surgery. I had to have my glasses on or my contacts in to, to drive or do anything. I was not functional at all. Um, my prescription, if anybody's curious, if you're in a contact type person, is I wore um, the AccuView negative six in both eyes, so that can give you an indicator of how bad my eyes were. And now I was showing off the day after when I went for my follow-up visit. I was, you know, she was saying, read this line. This is the 2020 line. And I was able to go two or three lines below it. So it was really cool um, that, that my vision is this good. Um, and and I'll, I'll go ahead. I don't give plugs typically, but I will tell you which doctor, because I've gotten several emails from people in the Atlanta area saying, hey, Brian, who, do, who did you use? Because I'm always wanting to know who, who's good to, to recommend out there. And and, and as you can imagine, with me being functional, what I call functional OCD, meaning that I'm such a, a kind of crazy about the way I research things, I did do a lot of research. And I ended up hiring a doctor that I actually had a relationship with, with the last firm I worked at. Um, I knew of him through that. Um, his name is Dr. Alan Kazarski. And I, I get nothing from this. Believe me, I didn't get a discount on my procedure um, I'll go ahead and tell you, I paid um, $4,800 for to get both eyes done. That's with lifetime you know, enhancements or whatever. Hopefully I won't have to go see them for, for quite a while. So it's not the cheapest thing in the world. But Dr. Kazarski works for, or I think he's actually one of the owners, I think he's one of the founders, for PiedmontBetterVision.com. And um, – I, I knew Dr. Kozarski was really good, very successful. He's, um, you know, he, he serves here at the Georgia Eye Bank. Um, he does a lot of cornea transplants. He's the guy that comes in that most people, most doctors hire to fix their mistakes. Um, it, it's amazing. I think he's done good work, and um, his reputation preceded him. If you want to kind of – I knew this because I worked with him at my last firm, and he's not a client, by the way, so don't think that I'm recommending because he's a client because um, he's not, but I, I did, and it's on their website, so I know I can say it publicly, is that he's actually done the eyes of, like, Greg Maddox, who's the, 
you know, the Cy Young award-winning pitcher that used to pitch for the Braves for a number of years and, and has moved on. He's also done quite a few other Braves that are listed on, you can see it on their website, and they've done quite a you know, professional golfers, you know, pilots. I, I can't say enough good things. I think he's done a great job. If you want to go check him out, I think it um, wouldn't bother me. Like I said, I get no kickbacks, but I'm just so happy about my eyes that I feel like it's worth um, sharing with you guys. And I hope you don't mind me putting this at the end of the show. Like I said, it doesn't impact what, whatsoever into the financial advice we're giving out there. And I hope that helps out, too, to help you make the right financial decisions to choose who are the good advisors out there. So so check it out. And, of course, you know, I don't, I probably don't plug myself enough, but I feel kind of icky about doing it because this show is a passion of, um, you know, a hobby of passion that I do. But if you do meet my minimums of a half million dollars or more, you don't mind working with an advisor that might not live in your neighborhood, because with technology, that's not necessarily important anymore, feel free to check me out. You can go to themoneyguy.com, or you can check out my firm's website. That's preston-cleveland.com. Um, you can check us out, and um, you know, and I'd love to talk to you as well and send you out a prospect kit. Like I said, I don't push myself enough because I feel kind of weird about it, because I know you guys think of me as the guy who's giving financial advice, but let's face it, what pays the, de- the, the bills around here and keeps this thing going is fortunately, my, my, you know, I can I can run a successful financial planning practice, an investment ma- management practice that that I can do this to try to le- level the playing field. So I'm not just helping the people who are well already there on, on their goal to financial independence. I can also help you know the guys that are just starting out and trying to get things going. So thanks so much for listening. I hope you'll tune in next week. Don't forget, I am going to be looking at Dave Ramsey's investment um, recommendations as part of you know he's got this Financial Peace University. Big fan of Dave, but still. I think it doesn't hurt to go out there and do some objective analytical research. Don't know the answer, so I don't know if I'm for or against or what I feel about it yet, but I will be doing an analysis of um, Dave's investment recommendations that um, he gives out in the Financial Peace University. I've been emailed those those notes, the PDF version of those notes from um, several of my listeners, and um, I'll be sharing that with you in the next two to three weeks. I'm hoping to put that show together in the next two to three weeks. So thanks so much for tuning in. May God bless you with good health, wealth, and future opportunities. Until next week, I'll talk to you soon. This is your host, Brian Preston. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston, and Brian Preston is a partner with Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with securities laws and regulations. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. <laughs>